This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hi, all, and welcome to the show. We're talking to Ames Sheldon this week, who writes about women's rights and equality for all. As a company for women by women, we represent all menstruators and love telling female stories, so we're happy to have Ames on the podcast. In light of Roe v. Wade being overturned, we're interested in hearing her story and how she came to write about women's studies. Ames Sheldon is an author who just came out with her new novel after working on it for 40 years, Lemons in the Garden of Love. The story is about her great aunt who helped to found Planned Parenthood of Massachusetts and how she pushed the boundaries in women's rights. Sheldon comes from a background of women's and gender studies as the lead author and associate editor of the groundbreaking Women's History Sources, a guide to archives and manuscript collections in the United States, which contains descriptions of collections of original primary source materials pertaining to the history of tens of thousands of women and women's organizations from the colonial period through the 1970s. In the process of working on this monumental 1,100-page reference book, Ames discovered her love for women's history and for using primary sources for research. The views of Ames do not reflect those of Jubilance for PMS, but we recognize the responsibility for telling every female story. And we'll be right back after this message. First, we have to give it up for our sponsor, Jubilance for PMS, the only supplement on the market to help relieve your emotional PMS symptoms. This supplement is produced by a woman-run company and is the only clinically tried supplement on the market for the emotional side of PMS. Just think if you could stop all the stressing and those anxieties that accompany PMS. It's totally possible with a supplement you take once a day. Learn more if Jubilance is right for you at jubilance.com. Welcome, Ames. We're so excited to have you today on the podcast. Um, And like, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So I don't know where you're calling from. Yeah, I'm from New York City, actually. So a little bit further away. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) east of here. Yeah, but I saw that you actually did. So so you were... um, you started off in working in philanthropy for um, the Minnesota Historical Society. Is that right? Actually, I started before that. Um, okay. My my most uh, my most significant job I've had probably was um, working as the um, primary author and associate editor of a, of a reference book, a monumental reference book called Women's History sources, Mm -hmm. a guide to archives and manuscript collections in the United States. I was hired to write and edit and proofread and uh, index this 1100 page um, book, which is, it is made up of collections of women's history, uh, collections of women's history uh, documents, letters, diaries, minutes of women's meetings, um, you know, women's group meetings and so on from um, the beginning of, uh, of the country. So it, it was in the late 1960s when women's history, I'm sorry, the late 1970s, mm-hmm. excuse me, when women's history was a, fe- a new field. Um, mm-hmm. 
people didn't really know what it was yet, but that really got me hooked on women's history, thinking about it, doing research on women's history, and finally writing about women's history. Yeah, I, I was reading about um, this book, it, it, 1100 pages, that is insane. And to go from like pre-revolution colonial times to the 1970s when it was published, um, I was reading that it became like a big source book for the field of women's studies. You were exactly. at the forefront of all of that, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, me with a lot of other people, we had a we had a really great staff and a bunch of uh, field workers, women's history, uh, you know, ABD uh, students who were working on their dissertations um, in women's history who went around the country to get information for this book. And so there were a whole lot of us and it was a great effort. It was a wonderful undertaking. Wow, that's amazing. And now you are now you have a new undertaking with um, your new book that was just published, Lemons in the Garden of Love. Yes. Um, and you had to do extensive research for this particular, bu- particular book. Um, and it is based on your great grand aunt Blanche. Yes, well, it was inspired by her. Okay. Um, so I, I took great liberties with the um, actual life of my great granddaughter, but um, it was inspired by her. She was one of the co-founders of the Birth Control League of Massachusetts in 1916. So I did do a lot of research on her experiences trying to get birth control legalized in Massachusetts. It took a hundred years from the time that the Comstock laws outlawing birth control uh, were finally overturned by the Supreme Court um, in in Massachusetts. Uh, So that was was quite an effort. Wow. And, And how did you go about that research? I know like this is a field that it's kind of a taboo subject that people don't really talk about of women's health and I mean, there's a huge debate right now about abortion and Roe v. Wade. How did you go about looking for this history? I know you mentioned even the predictor, which is one of the earliest home pregnancy tests in your book. How did you find these things? Yes, well, I, I, I did do a lot of research. I went to um, Smith College has a very, mm-hmm. uh, a very impressive archives of material having to do with women's history, the Sophia Smith collection. So there is an Ames collection of material there. So lots of information about Blanche Ames and about the Birth Control League of Massachusetts. So those are primary documents. So, you know, it's original letters and minutes of meetings and so on that I asked the archivist to make me copies of since I live in Minnesota, not Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy to get there to see what all they had there. So um, so I did a lot of the research there. There are other um, archives. There's one at um, Radcliffe that I went to mm-hmm. and one at Boston University. Um, and then at the University of Minnesota, um, at the Minnesota Historical Society, looking for material about uh, the, um, well, it wasn't the Birth Control League of Minnesota, but the Planned Parenthood, the beginning of Planned Parenthood in Minnesota. So a lot of research in places like that. I I also read a lot of even um, 
even diaries and, and novels uh, from the period, from the like 1910s, 1920s, um, to get the right language down for, um, as I was creating the diary um, of the character based on Blanche James. Wow. Um, that's amazing. You did so much research and that's great that you were able to get all of that information to you in Minnesota. Were you working on this during the pandemic? Um, I started work on this eight, uh, 40 years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it might, the first draft of this book was done in about 1980 and I tried to get it published and it just wasn't the right time for it. So I put it away. Um, wow. And then um, when Donald Trump was elected president, I decided what I could do, um, what I wanted to do was to bring this story out to make sure that it really did get published finally. So I reworked it and reworked it and reworked it and, um, and found a publisher and, um, and got it, got Lemons in the Garden of Love created and out into the world at last. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. This is the time that we need to tell this story, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's still relevant 40 years on. I'm afraid it's really timely. <laughs> mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, what did the early years of women's history leading to Roe v. Wade teach us about this present moment that we're living in? Well, what I learned working on this on this novel was that it took, well, as I said briefly before, it, it took a hundred years in Massachusetts for to legalize birth control. Birth control had been legal um, in the 19th century until the Comstock laws were uh, passed, which outlawed contraception and material information about contraception. Hmm. So that was in 1873. Um, it wasn't until 1916 in Massachusetts where uh, the birth control league was finally founded. And it was founded because there was a man who was passing out uh, pamphlets about why not to have too many children um, at, at, in, in Boston, out, handing them out to women coming out of a candy factory where they were working and he was arrested. And so it was his defense fund, these people, women who came together to help defend him. Um, that's what started the Birth Control League of Massachusetts um, in 1916. Uh, the organization continued uh, work. Uh, they, uh, they tried to get laws passed in Massachusetts. Um, they had uh, clinics, birth control clinics that were functioning very wonderfully in the 1930s until they got, uh, the police came and closed them down. Um, they, they tried to get uh, various bills through the legislature. Um, finally, in the 1950s, when they turned into the Planned Parenthood League of of Massachusetts, um, birth control still wasn't legal in Massachusetts. So women who came to Planned Parenthood in Massachusetts at that time actually would get sent to the, um, to Rhode Island, to the Planned Parenthood um, place in Providence, Rhode Island um, to get their birth control. And um, 
So as I say, it, wow. it, it, it took a um, hundred years in Massachusetts for women to finally get legal birth control. You know, today, I, I think for most women, it's, uh, it's hard to remember uh, what it was like, uh, hard to even know what it was like before birth control was readily available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never lived in a world where it hasn't been easily accessible and something to be like praised and fought for. Um, and, and even, then, and even yeah, <laughs> and even Roe v. Wade. I've never lived in a, in a world without Roe v. Wade, which uh, I think is the most interesting part of how, how we can go back on something that was so long ago before so many lifetimes of people who live in this country. Um, exactly. I mean, it was 50 years ago that Roe v. Wade was legalized um, on the basis of the right to privacy of women to have an abortion. Um, you know, no state could prohibit abortion before the fetus is viable outside the womb, which occurs around 23 weeks of pregnancy. Now, in the 19th century, birth control, I'm sorry, abortion was legal um, until wow. quickening, until, until you could, a mother could feel the baby moving. Huh. But until then, they could, they could have legal abortions. Wow. The 18th century and the early 19th century. And so how was that determined? Was that just the mother saying, I feel this? And yes. so... Okay, so they had even more autonomy back then because they were saying, okay, I feel this or I don't. Good point. Plus, you know, if you feel it and, and you can get somebody else's hand to feel it too, if it happens when, you know, somebody is standing next to you and wondering. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so you wrote this book, you decided it was the time to publish. Your publisher obviously felt the same. Can you talk a little bit about um, what you think people can do to like to read this book and to learn and to fight for um, uh, women's health? Yes, I, th I think it's really, um, I think reading Lemons in the Garden of Love can be really helpful, especially for women who uh, have who were born after Roe v. Wade, because those are the women who don't really know what we could lose. Um, this book, I think, really helps people understand the depths and the human costs, really, of the long struggle for reproductive rights and its centrality to the unfinished fight for gender equality. Um, it's you know, uh, women have tr been trying to gain equal rights ever since the founding of this country, after all. Mm -hmm. And women's fight for equality and control over their own bodies is uh, far from over. It's um, one of the things that's scariest to me about uh, if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, um, it could very well open challenges to other legal rights to privacy, including contraception. I mean, contraception could be made illegal. Um, and That's it's, insane. I know. And it's certainly difficult for men, millions of women in this country to get access to contraception even now, but it could become illegal. Um, 
the uh, the legal rights to privacy are you know that's the basis of Roe v. Wade. It's also the basis of for contraception, for same sex marriage, for interracial marriage. I mean, it's just it could be the beginning of a really slippery slope. What would we do without legal birth control? How do we control what's going to happen? What we're going to choose to do with our lives? How our lives are going to unfold? That's why we had that sexual revolution in the 60s, because we were finally able to get contraception. We were finally able to go to work and to do other things other than just have children and to know that we didn't have to have them. And so we could do other things like you're saying. Or we could put them off while we finish getting our degree or whatever. Mm -hmm. And have them later, whenever we want. Exactly. Exactly. It's the decisions we're making, like you're saying. Exactly. And can you talk a little bit about the reception um, of your book with Planned Parenthood? Um, I read that you have the support of Dr. Jennifer Childs Roshak, um, the CEO of Planned Parenthood in Massachusetts. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it was very fun to to engage with her because uh, this story is mostly about the Birth Control League of Massachusetts. And so I was able to get a draft of the of the novel to her and her staff and to get her, for her to read it, for her to get, uh, give me her comments and wow and words for the back of the book. And the same thing in Minnesota where I know the CEO Sarah Stace quite well. Um, and so she too read the book and had, you know, very nice comments to make about it. Um, I ended up giving, um, hundreds of copies of this book to uh, the Planned Parenthood of of Minnesota, sorry, Uh, as a gift, because I wanted it to get out there. I mean, that's, that's why I'm talking to you. I want this, Mm -hmm. this book, Lemons in the Garden of Love to go really way out there to reach as many people as I possibly can. I also sent a copy to the um, CEO of every Planned Parenthood affiliate in the country. There are 50 of those. Um, so, uh, but unfortunately, you know, with the pandemic, there was no gala last year, uh, Planned Parenthood events where the books could be given out. I would have done that. I would have loved to have done that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully that this year. Happened. Yes, exactly. Hopefully this year. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about what you think the future is for reproductive rights? We've touched on it a little bit, but hopefully, hopefully something good. Well, exactly. I mean, it's, huh, it's scary. I mean, I think it, what's really important is that everybody votes in September. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in November, that we vote for pro-choice candidates. Nancy Pelosi said this coming election is tur- just turned into the biggest fight for women's rights in our nation's history. And I think that's true. I don't think she's overstating it. I don't know that all women think that way or are aware of that, but it's critically important that yeah. we elect pro-choice candidates. Thank you. Yeah, we've got to go get out the vote. So everyone listening, go vote in November, come November, midterm elections count. They sure do. Yeah. You know, going forward, it's really, it's really challenging. The United States has the highest 
maternal mortality rate of any developed country. And it's because of the uh, disparity in care and outcomes for black women. Um, so, I mean, healthcare for women is just um, <laughs> under siege. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's so much to talk about there, which is unfortunate. Um, but I, I didn't know that about the one of the biggest developed nations and we have the highest um, cases of mortality for mothers. Yeah, I, so one of the problems with if, if abortion is not legal, women who have troublesome um, pregnancies, you know, um, could die. A lot more women will die mm -hmm. as a result um, if, if abortion becomes illegal or, you know, ectopic pregnancies, miscarriages. I mean, they could be, um, they could really be under siege if abortion isn't legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like it will definitely affect the women in like red states a lot more um, because like my state of New York or your state of Minnesota will be okay and be able to have abortions probably forever, hopefully unless Hopefully. something goes very, very wrong. Right, but I think, right. um, but like you're saying, it's going to affect the women who don't have as much of a voice and who are more conservative and who like don't have as great of access to healthcare like we do in Minnesota or New York City, um, which is exactly. just unfortunate. Yes, I mean, if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, half of the states in this country will ban abortion. I mean, they've already got trigger laws all ready to go. Um, and the decision will be made next week or early in the following week. Um, whew, it's very scary. Yeah. Oh, well, let's all get out and vote. It's <laughs> the yes, biggest exactly. thing we can do. And exactly. read your book, Living in the Garden of Love, to, to learn more about this history. Exactly. And give copies to your daughters or your sisters or your mothers. Um, I mean, this information is really, um, really important. Um, my great grand aunt, um, one of the things that she did, she was an artist. Mm -hmm. And when, um, you know, one of the bills that they were trying to get passed uh, didn't go, she ended up um, carving a wooden penis and going out on Commonwealth Avenue in Boston. And showing how to use uh, a condom uh, wow. because, uh, you know, people didn't know about that early on in the 20th, early 20th century. Physicians didn't know what were the, you know, enough about reproduction and how to, um, how to, how to provide birth control, legal birth control. Um, the, uh, the Harvard Medical School did not have any information about birth control in, uh, in what they offered their students until the 1940s. Wow. The doctors didn't know what, how to help. Um, <laughs> it was something that was just passed down orally at the time of how, how this should work or from mother to daughter, hey, you can use this or you can try this thing, um, but nothing concrete. That's insane. 
Exactly, exactly. It, it was um, oral information from mother to daughter. Wow. And how can people find your book and how can they find out more about um, Lemons in the Garden of Love? Well, it's available. Um, it's available from independent bookstores. Um, it's available from um, Amazon. Unfortunately, Barnes and Noble don't carry it because it's a smaller press. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, they just don't have it in their inventory. They should, but they don't. Um, but independent bookstores can order it, no problem. Um, and as I say, Amazon has it. Um, it is available as an ebook. Um, as well. And so it's either a paperback or an ebook. Um, there's more information about me and my previous two books on my website, uh, which is amessheldon.com. So very simple. Um, I, I love talking to book clubs. And so on my website, I've got uh, a section of, well, there's all sorts of information about my three books, but um, there's also a, set, a session, a section, sorry, about um, book clubs and questions for, for book clubs for each of my three books. So that can be helpful too. Yeah, I did see that when I was checking out your website and I was like, oh, this is perfect for my book club. So um, yeah, definitely going to pitch it hard now. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. Yes. You. Um, and then Ames, something that we ask on this podcast um, to everyone is what is your definition of womanhood? Oh my, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think women um, are surprisingly strong and resourceful, um, can be powerful. Um, personally, I think um, a lot of women are concerned about love mm. and how to express it, um, how to be a part of a community. Um, personally, I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I think women, well, it's horrible because you get into these sort of social stereotypes about, you know, women are against yeah. war. war. I, well, I'm against war, but not all women. Um, so it's kind of hard to, hard to say what's true of, you know, all women. Um, but I think women can be very, uh, sensitive and um, caring and loving. And I hope we all will be that way as much of the time as we possibly can. But I think we also need to be powerful about our, uh, our own needs, our families, um, how to get what we need hmm. for ourselves and our families. I think that's a great thing to tie everything together is like, how do we get what we need? We vote, we learn about the history um, and uh, go forward. Uh, thank you so much, Ames, for being on the podcast today. And it was great to get to talk to you. Well, thank you, Alice. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.
And please, everybody, read Lemons in the Garden of Love. This is information we all need. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. If you like the podcast, please review us on iTunes. It really does help. And if you want to take advantage of our special offer to help your PMS turn from stressful to nonchalant, use the promo code WEEKLYWOMAN with no space in between the two words at jubilance.com. Again, the promo code is WEEKLYWOMAN. Thanks for listening and see you next time.